0: This is David Rhimes, and you're listening to Episode Three of Footnotable, a podcast about discovering the truth and the details of everyday life. Joining me, as always, is Oren Connor, senior pastor at First Baptist Church in beautiful downtown Baton Rouge. In today's episode, we'll finally answer the question that everyone's been asking: Why in the world did you start a podcast? Additionally. We'll take a serious look at selfishness and break down the conclusions of research done by David G. Rand, Associate Professor of Psychology, Economics, Cognitive Science, and Management at Yale University. Finally, in closing, it'll be my turn to share part of my own story and recall how God brought our family from Bamako to Baton Rouge. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes. And give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to Foot Notable. All right, Oren. It is now officially week three of school shutdown and week two here in Louisiana for the lockdown of going to work and things like that. So I think it's safe to say that it's officially gotten old. I think so. Uh, It was old last week. Uh, a, few, a few days of it
1: felt a little bit like summer camp, you know, or, or like a retreat. You're kind of like, all right, let's get excited about staying in and taking care of ourselves and and cooking our food and, and being clean. And not that camp was anything about those things, but it felt like a little bit of an adventure. Well, camp's over, man. It's time to go back to normal life. And it's getting very old. Yes, I totally agree. Um, we got to press on And what I found. And I, I already knew this. But I think that old adage, "One day at a time," really takes on a, a deeper meaning for us these days, where you just take care of today, just deal with today, because Jesus promises there'll be plenty of trouble tomorrow as well. And one of the troubles we're facing in this quarantine lockdown is just boredom or a lack of, of productivity. Sometimes you feel like you're not doing all the things you're made to do because you're not at the office at work at at school or whatever it is that you normally are doing this time of year. And so um, it it just feels like time is moving really quickly and really slowly at the same time. And it's a bit unnerving for me personally.
0: Yeah. I love your, your camp analogy. Definitely camp is over and our parents forgot to pick us up uh, is is what it feels like a little (laughs) bit.
1: They forgot to get us, man. We're sitting on the curb going mom and dad. And now the camp administrators are coming to us saying, Hey, we're trying to put you guys to work. And so now you're doing stuff you never thought you'd be doing before. So it's just, uh, it's a little odd for sure.
0: Yeah. And it's important. You know, we talked about this a couple episodes ago about how to just get through things, just manage this, like you said, one day at a time. And it's important just to reiterate some of that because you and I were chit-chatting before we recorded about just being a little bit worn out. We've not done anything that seems strenuous physically, but, in situations like this, the whole process, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally of going through this kind of situation is exhausting. It is. Now, for some some listening, you're you're in jobs that are very physically demanding, emotionally demanding right now. But for most people, it kind of feels like maybe you have s- stepped into a scenario where your activity level has been greatly decreased, but don't let that fool you. This is still going to wear on you on a lot of levels. So find time to get that physical activity, find time. You know what? Take a nap. Here's some official pastoral advice. You can take a nap. It's okay. A nap. Amen.
1: I told you because
0: your body needs to catch up because if your body gets drained down, guess what you're susceptible to getting sick. It may not be coronavirus, but it could be just a common cold. It could be a sinus infection. You never know. And you don't need to be sick at a time like this. So let's stay healthy. Let's keep it one day at a time. But let's remember those things we need to be doing. Stay in that schedule, get that physical activity, and find time to get plenty of rest. Don't stay up late watching movies. Okay? Go to bed. Get up when you're you're supposed to to start your day. And we'll be better off for it. But yeah, we are stuck at camp now. Now it's time to buckle down and definitely take it one day at a time, which is partly why we jumped on our podcast. We weren't quite ready to launch this, but because of this outbreak and because we needed to be able to speak to not just our people at First Baptist, but to the community at large, we went ahead and pulled the trigger on this a little bit prematurely. And we haven't really broken down a lot about why we did this. It may have seemed like a knee-jerk reaction. Like one day there is no podcast, and then suddenly Orin and Dave have one. Why do we have one? So let's kind of talk our, re- our listeners through what all transpired to bring us to this point. Well, we started the conversation about a podcast
1: Months and months ago. I mean, last year we started talking about it wasn't long after it came out on staff. We started talking about, hey, we should do a podcast. And it was sort of like a little bit of a joke, kind of kind of laughing about, oh, yeah, we could call it this. We could call it that. and 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 so we kind of kicked it around, but we never really had an idea for it or what it would it would accomplish. and one of the 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 first rules of podcasting, if you want to start a podcast, you have to ask the question, why am I doing this? Who is it for? What am I going to be saying? And and it could it could be about anything, and there certainly are podcasts about everything under the sun, but we didn't quite know what our podcast was going to be all about, and so we sort of let it let it fly. We'd bring it up every once in a while, but never really nailed anything down. And then, bait. Uh, I guess late last year, early this year, we really started getting serious about okay, what's this going to be for? How are we going to do it? What's the process? Um, you started. You bought some equipment, got a good deal on some on some podcast microphones, and. Um, spe- speaking of, you have your new Yeti. Is it working?
0: I do have the new Yeti. It arrived this past Friday by UPS, and yeah, I took it out of the box, plugged it in, and everything's working super well. Use it for Sunday school yesterday.
1: Yeah, I saw that on the table.
0: Good, good. Yeah, got some good recording out of it.
1: Yeah, so so Dave, you go out, and you, you get some some pretty a pretty simple podcast package. We got some some um, some equipment in. And then we located a space in in the church that is um, uh, really custom made for a a studio type setup. And so we set up a little podcasting studio with microphones and a computer and maybe a a video camera to film us. And we kind of had an idea. We shot a couple of prequel episodes already um, just to kind of get used to this format. And then, like you said, when this this coronavirus thing broke a couple of weeks ago, we decided let's go ahead and just start rolling this thing out week to week. And hopefully it'll bless the lives of whoever listens to it. And so what we decided to do was to make this podcast about people. Um, we've talked about topics and we're always going to have topics, but ultimately the goal of this podcast is to hear from people. It's to hear about how God has worked in the lives of people. And so the goal for us eventually, once we kind of get down the road a little bit, is to start bringing on um, regular guests to tell us their story about about how, how Christ saved them, how they were brought to faith, how their life has been changed because of that. Um, and we'll always have interspersed in their topics and uh, whether they are biblical topics or cultural issues that we're dealing with, like coronavirus, certainly. We want to we keep it fresh in that way. We want to be really an encouragement to those who are listening, uh, that God is at work in many of the, of the ordinary, uh, even footnotable moments of, of life, things that are, are, are the, the, the details of life that sometimes we don't always pay attention to, but God is working in those moments as well. And so so let's talk a little bit about the about the, the title itself. Where where'd this come from?
0: We drew it out of a hat.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not really. So one of the things you have to have when you have a podcast is you have to have a name for that podcast because you can't just call it the such and such podcast, although we try that.
1: Yes, we can. We can call it the, the such and such podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah, we actually kicked that name around. We kicked a lot of names around. We did, we did. And none of it really seemed to fit. We had some really good names that we thought were unique and innovative until we found out that 50 other podcasts had the exact same name.
1: So shout out to Footnotes Podcast. Thank you for taking our title. We chose Footnotes.
0: Yeah, so we, we did look at Footnotes. We thought that would be a great title because – The topics that we're covering, all of it has to do with trying to find the truth. We know, the truth comes from scripture and we are always interacting with information every day. We are hearing things on the news. We're talking to our coworkers. We're talking with family and friends. And there are always topics. There are always stories that are floating around. My story, your story, and various things. And we need to be able to look at those through the lens of scripture. And so a lot of times, if you're going to, to have a biblical worldview, well, what you're doing is you're let, letting scripture, you're letting the Bible serve as that footnote for everything you interact with. You hear a piece of information, you go to the Bible as the footnote to see, okay, does this match up with what God has revealed about himself, about his creation? about ourselves, about the world around us? Uh, And should we believe it? Should we refute it? Uh, Is it partial truth? Uh, What is it? That's why we chose the name Footnotes. But like you said, somebody beat us to the punch. And so we tweaked it a little bit and out came Footnotable. And we liked it. And we ran with it. I think it's great. So anyway, that is kind of how we came up with this whole idea of a podcast. It was a long journey and we're glad we're here now. And I'll tell you one thing I love, even though we're not there right now, we will be eventually, but I love the fact that we reclaim that old video room there at the church in the balcony for the use of doing a podcast, filming other media, things like that, because it really honors the rich history. First Baptist has had over the years of being and using media. That's right. You know, once upon a time, First Baptist could be seen on t- television. That was a popular way to get out the sermons, the services to people. And in a lot of places, it's not just here in Baton Rouge, but a lot of places that began to fade away and wasn't quite as popular. It wasn't as viable anymore. And that was the case for our, our church. And so that room has largely set empty It's been utilized more for storage than anything else. And now it has been completely reclaimed as a media, social media studio for our church once again, to have a voice into our culture. And so I love the fact that we're in that space one more time with the same general concept of media, but new media for the same message and for a brand new audience that probably would not have, Tuned in to TV to watch a worship service, but they will tune into podcasts. They will watch videos about parenting. Uh, they will watch other things that we produce in that space. So I love the fact that we're there. I think that's great. You know, the 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 church would
1: broadcast services live. If you if you tuned in at eleven o'clock on Sunday morning in the 1950s and 60s, you watched a live worship service. I actually you watched a live sermon. The pastor would get up into the pulpit at eleven o'clock and he was done with every sermon. This is J. Norris Palmer would be done at eleven twenty-nine and thirty seconds. He had his sermons timed out to the exact second almost. So there was thirty seconds of credits, and then the next show would start on that channel, whatever it may have been. And the church met every Sunday, but they didn't do Lord's Supper in in the morning service. They would do it in the evening for just the members because they were broadcasting live. And so we've come full circle in a way because we're also broadcasting live now on Sunday mornings with our YouTube and Facebook live channels. So it's really interesting to me how that big old room was set up with tens of thousands of dollars of equipment that now was condensed into basically one computer and one camera. And we can still broadcast live to, to tens of thousands of more people than they could have, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And so God's really opened a door for us to do this. And I'm certainly glad that we have the opportunity to do it. And I'm looking forward to all that he has in store for the future of this podcast and for the future of our broadcasting on the internet in the days and weeks and months to come.
0: All right, let's get into a bit more weighty topic, something that is... Very much apropos to our situation right now that we're in, but something that even goes beyond that, and that is the issue of selfishness.
1: Selfishness. We don't see any of that anywhere around us right now, do we?
0: Yeah, why are we talking about it? I take back everything I said.
1: I have four children at home. I've never seen selfishness from any of them ever before.
0: Well, this is a good topic for us to talk about right now, because it is something that we are faced with every day of our lives from ourselves and from others. But we've seen it manifested in some unique ways because of the coronavirus, particularly in the area of buying up all the toilet paper in every store. And we joke about that, but it's true. Why are people hoarding that much toilet paper? The answer is because they're selfish, selfish. Mm. They're not thinking of others. And so the question is, is selfishness something that is inerrant to us as human beings, or is it something we learn throughout the process of our development?
1: Well, it's interesting you ask that question, Dave, because you and I both recently looked at an article and, um, on Um, It was actually published all the way back in 2016, but just now is sort of resurfacing. Um, Now, just as a side note, for those of you listening to this, Dave and I read an app that's called Pocket, Pocket App, and they have kind of a daily email that you get with about six or eight or 10 articles from all these different sources that you can read. Some of them are are current, some of them are a little bit older, but it's really fascinating stuff. And so we pulled this off of that app because I feel like it's very appropriate for this day. The, art, the title of the article is, is Selfishness is Learned, written by a man named Matt Hudson, um, H-U-T-S-O-N, um, or Matt Huston maybe is what it is. Any, anyway, um, and the, the premise of the article is essentially advocating for a theory that some scientists have come up with that that basically says that selfishness is not inherent, that people are inherently cooperative. We want to be generous and helpful of others but we learn over time how to be selfish and so selfishness is learned selflessness is inherent that we are basically good but we slip up sometimes and the best thing for our society and based on their theory would be then to learn how to be cooperative and generous to counteract what we've learned and how to be selfish so the the opening question is what is our default mode selfishness or selflessness? Do we all have craven instincts must, that we must restrain by force or of will? Or are we basically good, even if we slip up sometimes? And so this is the question that is presented in the article. And a number of researchers have gone to some great lengths um, through scientific analysis, psychological analysis, using di- disciplines like, like computer science, and game theory and things like that to decide or determine if people are genu- genuinely selfish at heart or have they learned how to be selfish as a mode of survival or of self-preservation or whatever it may be. And so the question, okay, well, why do people go to the grocery store or to the local supermarket and buy up all the toilet paper knowing that someone behind them is going to need toilet paper? If you're the last guy to get to the store and there's nothing left and the guy in front of you has seven packages of toilet paper, could he have not left you one or two? Why did he take all of them? Is he not being selfish? Sure he is. Unless he's buying it for dozens of other people. We, we don't know. But it appears to be that he's simply keeping it for himself. Was well, that something that he learned how to do? Or is that something that is inherent in his own heart? Now... Dave, I think you and I both would agree, just the title alone, when we read that, we went, okay, I don't agree with this. And we probably went into the, reading the article with some some certain disagreements or, or presuppositions that we have based on what we believe from the scriptures. But what I found interesting about the article was how much they lean on their laboratory or scientific studies. They use both real people and they use computer-generated uh situations um to analyze what people would do in certain situations and you know i can't sum up everything that's in this article i encourage you to go and read it but they essentially say that cooperating for the good of others is very intuitive for us now my first opposition or disagreement with that would be to study children I have children, Dave, you have children. Many people listening to this probably have had children, have grandchildren. And from my own observation, maybe I'm just a failure as a parent, but from my own observation, selflessness doesn't appear to be intuitive in a child. Selfishness seems to be intuitive. We have to teach them how to be selfless, how to share, how to cooperate. Dave, you have any thoughts on this first sort of um, foray into this subject?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting article, and when we look at what the conclusions were, most of the research, by the way, was based on a associate professor at Yale University named uh, David G. Rand. And uh, so a lot of the conclusions that the article talks about are from his his work, his research, and one of his conclusions is the fact that He feels based on his research that people are born with a tendency to cooperate and frequent cooperation, as he says, is required to sustain our benevolence, as he puts it. And so that is the sense that we are inherently good. We want to cooperate. That is part of our nature. And that in order to fuel that so that we continue to want the best for others, that's that concept of benevolence then we must continue to default to cooperation rather than selfishness so that that can that result can happen and like you said the problem is is that that doesn't necessarily match with what we observe in the world particularly when we do look at our kids and you know what i love my kids i love them dearly but they are some of the most selfish people i have ever encountered and you know what when i was a kid i was the exact same way i was selfish Now, I have learned to be more selfless, but it's not because I just sort of will myself to do that. I became more selfless as I got older and matured because Christ was transforming my heart and my mind once I put my faith in him to redeem me so that that transformation could actually take place. I still default to being selfish it's true i am a selfish person but when christ is working in me i can overcome that tendency that entered into the our world my heart because of sin and i can overcome that by the spirit of the lord to then choose others rather than myself because that's what jesus did jesus always thought of others jesus chose others I mean, after all, the whole thing about going to the cross is about choosing others over self. If Jesus, if he had it his way, if he was just going to be selfish, he would have not gone to the cross because that would have been terrible. It was terrible, but because he was thinking of others, he was selfless. He went to the cross. So because of Christ, I can then make that decision. So while I do respect a lot of the research that was done, and I do understand some of the processes and outcomes of their research, I do think there are some flaws in how they went about things and some things that they failed to consider. And one of those is that they started with physically, emotionally mature adults. Yes. They, they did not look at children. And so I think you have to look at the entire human experience from birth to death when you're going to talk about something as fundamental as selfishness or selflessness you can't just take one segment of the population who probably can i think observation tells us we can alter our behavior up to a certain extent without christ and we can choose others and from time to time we do we see people without christ being generous do we not we see people without Christ going to great lengths to put others first. But to say that that is now our, our default mode, I think is a bit presumptuous because when we go back to our earliest development as human beings our, well what we see in the natural world is we are born very selfish mm-hmm.
1: It's what's in our hearts. It's 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 our default mode apart from the saving work of Christ. And what I find fascinating about the article and what the scientists are saying, I agree with some of the things that they that they say. For instance, when they talked about being intuitive, one of the guys asked, "Well, what does it mean? What's the what does it mean to be intuitive?" And he says this, and this. I find this completely um, fascinating the fuzziness of psychological ideas makes them hard to test. I agree with that. If an experimental result doesn't fit your theory of human behavior, watch this, you can fiddle with the definitions and claim you were right all along. To that, I say, I agree. If you can change what you mean in what you're looking for then you can ultimately redefine your terms to get the result that you want and so these these more sort of hard data scientists are coming at this going we can't only evaluate a person's altruism based on psychological evaluations we need something more scientific with hard data that we can quantify and qualify to to give us a better result he says science is not about developing theories, It is about developing theories, not about developing a list of observations. The reason formal models are so important is that if your goal is theory building, then it is essential that you have theories that are really clearly articulated and are falsifiable. So what he's saying here is we did this data study to make it objectively observable, studyable, I guess, So you can either affirm it or you can falsify. You can prove that it's wrong, whereas psychological evaluations only can't really be falsified because the the scientists or or the psychologists can just redefine the terms. The problem here is that they're not taking into consideration that human beings are also spiritual beings. We're not robots who are simply doing right and wrong based on how we feel or how we think. There's more to the human uh, existence or experience, than simply choosing to be selfless, selfless or selfish, and so what they did was they developed a computer simulation of society. Dave, have you ever played the game Sims? The Sims. Remember, remember this game that's been popular for so many years?
0: Actually, I have played it once, like years ago. I think it's actually been out for twenty years or so now. It's been around a while.
1: And so they they took the Sims basically, and they programmed these models with all these different sort of um, uh, personalities and and, uh, thought processes in each individual character, and they made them sort of agents, so to speak, with an algorithm that would capture a specific package of traits, such as a tendency to cooperate or not to cooperate. And And here's what he says, this is incredible. You can do controlled experiments on these computerized citizens that would be impossible or unethical to do with real people. You can endow them with a new, with new personalities to see how they fare. Now, that to me is alarming. You can give them whatever personalities you think they should have. And that seems to me like you can then designate a certain number of personalities so that you can achieve a certain result. Now, I'm not accusing that's what they did here, but that seems to me to be a bit out of um, out of reality because human beings are not mathematical computer algorithms. Unless you believe in the matrix, right? This platonic existence, then, then we, we are not computers. A computer cannot recapture the depth and the breadth and the width and the height of a human soul. And what Jesus, as you said before, went to the cross to pay for. And so what I find in this, in this article is while the experiments seem to be completely scientific and objective with what they claim to be theoretical kind of results, their theories don't hold up to the reality of what a human being really is. The Bible is clear that we are deeply loved, but we are also deeply depraved as human beings. And we don't teach our children. We didn't learn as children how to be selfish on purpose. We were taught how to share. We were taught how to cooperate. And yet we still, as you said before, and I I echo everything concerning myself, I am a selfish person. And if I'm not careful, I will act based on that selfish instinct or inclination that I have. The selflessness in me has had to be overlaid or or on top of the selfishness to make me a cooperative, giving person generous person, but that's always a battle in my heart. It's not the other way around where selflessness was already there. And then I learned how to be selfish for my sake of my survival. The reality is the human heart must be transformed by the power of God and his gospel to make us the kind of people that this article is presenting that we naturally are. That's just not the reality that I've, I've, I've seen in my life or the lives of any other people that I've ever known. And so while the while the data is is fascinating and interesting, um, it doesn't hold up according to what we study in the word of God.
0: Yeah. Let me bring this home a little bit for parents. When you are dealing with your children who are selfish, as we've we've stated, you obviously want them to stop being selfish. That is the natural thing for a mom and a dad to do. Your kids are acting selfishly. It's causing conflict in their relationship with each other. It's causing conflict in their relationship with you. You want them to stop being so selfish. Here's the thing you need to remember. Unless your children have put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, there will be no change in your child's behavior. Because the only thing that's going to help your child begin to overcome the selfishness in their heart is Jesus. So mom, dad, you can't fix selfishness in your child. The best you can do right now is when your children are being selfish and they are not yet believers, is to point them to Jesus. Point them to why selflessness is a thing that we ought to want for our lives. Why is selfish wrong? We don't get into a conversation about, well, I just when you're selfish, it just causes arguments. When you're selfish, you hurt someone's feelings. Those may all be true. And we do want our kids to help help them understand those things. But if we leave the conversation there, if we leave the conversation on the immediate consequences of selfishness in their lives, and we fail to point them to the gospel, we fail to point them to Jesus, then we've done half a job as believing parents. We need to find ways to point them to Christ, to tell them, you know, when you act this way, the only person you're thinking of is yourself. And that is not what God wants for you. God himself came thinking of you and everyone, To this earth to live this life and to be treated poorly by selfish people but yet he continued to obey and to follow his father's will up to the point where he died for everyone that is what god has done for you god is not selfish god does not want us to be selfish and unless you let god change your heart you're going to keep being selfish and i know that may seem as a heavy way to approach this with a child. But these are the kind of conversations we need to be having. Now, obviously your kid is two years old. They're not going to understand a whole lot about the gospel at this point. Okay. You have to put that in very basic terms, but it's the same conversation. If your kid is six, seven years old, or if your kid is uh, is 16, 17 years old, 26, 27 years old, wherever they are in life, if they're exhibiting selfish behavior and they've yet to become a follower of Jesus, we have to point them to the gospel. So number one, free yourself from feeling you have to fix selfishness in the heart of your child. You can't, but good news is Jesus can and will do that once they begin to follow Christ. So keep pointing your children to the gospel every chance you get, but guess what? When you do and you, you do everything right, you have a parent win for the sake of the gospel. Guess what your kids are going to do the next time they get a chance. They're probably going to be selfish. That's OK, mom and dad. You didn't fail because the failure was not on you. The failure is on your child. And I know that may sound harsh. We own our own sin. So mom and dad just keep doing the do. Keep pointing to Jesus because they need to know that they can't fix this on their own that they need a savior. They need a redeemer to change their selfish heart. So I just want to kind of bring that concept that we're talking about selfishness right down to where the rudder meets the road for our moms and dads and all those faithful grandparents that are engaging in the lives of their grandchildren. You guys can't fix it, but Jesus can. That's exactly right. And one of the ways we see
1: this is how even Christians sometimes recoil at the commands of of the scriptures. When Jesus says, love your enemies, we naturally just in our, our natural state, even as those who have been redeemed in a redeemed state, kind of pull back on that a little bit. We don't press into that idea. Love your enemies, love those who persecute you, bless those who persecute you. Those words seem so contradictory to how we naturally want to respond. Even as Christians, we don't want to love our enemies. We, wanna, we want our enemies to feel hurt like we feel hurt, but we need a redeemed heart in order to see the words of Christ and believe them and go, no, I must love my enemy because this is what I've been commanded to do. This is the best thing that honors my Lord who saved me. And so what I find truly contradictory in this article is the very last statement the guy makes. The, the researcher Rand says, it feels good to be nice. Unless the other person is a jerk, then it feels good to be mean now that that statement exposes the true nature of a human heart. I will be nice to you if you're nice to me, but if you're mean to me, if you're a jerk to me, it makes me i feel better when I'm mean to you, and that spirit in our hearts of selfishness, of pride, of greed of retribution. That is what Jesus came to transform. That is what Jesus came to remove and to fill with his love. It doesn't make us pushovers or soft or easy to step on, but it makes us loving in spite of the meanness that maybe we are receiving from others or the betrayal that we've, got, we've gotten from others. That's what Christ came to transform in our hearts, to make us different. And so all of the experimenting that this guy did in his study is thrown out by this last sentence. When he says, if you're mean to me, I can be mean to you. Which, which goes against everything that he was saying before. That we have to learn how to be generous. You have to learn how to be kind. You have to learn how to be selfish. Or self, self, you're learning how to be selfish, not selfless. And I, I, just, I just disagree. You are what you are at birth. You, these traits are inherent in us. And as you just mentioned, we have to teach our children the way of Christ Pray for the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts. Pray for them to come to salvation in Jesus. And then pray for them to be sanctified over time to become more and more like Jesus. I pray to God that 20 years from now, I am less selfish, less prideful, less arrogant than I am today. And I hope that I'm less of those things now than I was 20 years ago. Hoping and praying that I am growing in my closeness to the Lord and my faithfulness to the Lord where I am showing less selfishness and more selflessness in how I live my life every day. I think that is the goal. That is what God has come to do or Christ has come to do in our lives. And so when Romans 3 quotes Isaiah and he says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That's that's a heavy text. It applies to all of us, to the oldest and to the youngest of us, to a newborn baby. This text is true of them. They haven't shown that in their lives, but they will. Give them time and they will. This is why we need the gospel. This is why we need to teach and preach the gospel in our homes, in our churches, and to everyone that's willing to listen and hear what we have to say about the redemption that comes by faith in Jesus. He came to make us sacrificial, generous people. Um, which is to overcome our selfish desire, which is natural in our in our hearts.
0: So last week, we had the opportunity to listen to some of your story, Oren. You talked about how you came to faith in Christ and what eventually brought you in your life to your place of ministry now at First Baptist Baton Rouge. So this week, it is my turn to share with our listeners a little bit about Little old me. Mm-hmm. Come on, Dave. Tell us, tell us how you got here, man. It all started in this way I was born at an early age. Oh, my goodness. Well, why are you laughing?
1: <laughs> how early? How early? How early an age were you born, Dave? Really?
0: Yeah, the very earliest. Okay. So, no, seriously. um, yeah, I was born into a Christian family and my dad was a pastor. My mom was an elementary school teacher and I grew up preacher's kid. And so I've been in church all my life. Every time the doors were open, that was, that was me. We were there sitting in our pew for Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night uh, in Sunday school, did VBS Uh, If there was an event like a camp or something like that, we were doing it. If the church got together for a potluck, we were most certainly there. And so church has been a part of my life. And one of the wonderful things about growing up in my family in particular was the care that my parents took in making sure I was being presented with the gospel. And so from an early age, one of my earliest memories was sitting on the couch Uh, In our living room, while either my mom or my dad would take, I forget the the name of the series now, but it was put out, I think it may have been an old Broadman series. It was a a Bible storybook series and they would take that and it was character based. Okay. So you kind of went through and you had, you know, Noah and Abraham and Moses and things like that. So they would take one of those and they would read from that every night. That was kind of our nighttime bedroom a reading and I got very familiar with the various characters in the Bible. And of course, still being in church all that time, I knew you know, about the age of seven, that I wanted to give everything I knew about myself to everything I knew about God. Now I phrase it that way because obviously I know a whole lot more about myself and God at age 43 than I did at seven. But even at that age, I knew enough. I knew enough to realize that I was a sinner and that I needed to be rescued and that that rescuer was Jesus and I needed to trust him. And as simple as that is, it's enough for a little boy of seven years old, living in Doylene, Louisiana, uh, there outside of Shreveport to put my faith in Jesus and receive my salvation. And so I grew up, continued on in church. Uh, My dad pastored some different churches here and there. We eventually, back in 1987, moved to South Louisiana, where I did most of my growing up. I don't really, you know, remember a lot of my growing up in North Louisiana, where my family's originally from. Starting in, in 87, my dad went and served at Old Zion Hill Baptist Church, a little church out in the middle of. Nowhere Livingston Parish at the time uh, that was founded back in 1832. A church with tremendous history and he pastored that church there and I grew up in that church and I still have wonderful relationships and connections with Old Zion Hill there on Highway 442 in Livingston Parish, about a stone's throw from the Tangipahoe Parish line there. That church had a lot of influence on me growing up, my Sunday school teachers, RA leaders, uh, different men and women who just lived out faithful lives But in front of me, my brother, and others that were my age. And when I eventually went to college, like a lot of people, I took my faith with me, but I began to realize that the faith I was taking with me was more my parents' faith than it was mine. Now, it was still my faith. Uh, This wasn't a false faith. It wasn't based on any erroneous decision I made as a kid, you know, where I was just sort of going along with things. It was a genuine faith, but it really wasn't a faith that had taken deep root in my heart. It was more of a vicarious faith. And so I kind of went through a period of really trying to discover what my faith looked like. And it was one of the best times of spiritual growth in my life. And it allowed me to take full ownership of my faith to realize that this was true that everything the bible did say about who i was who god was what god had done for me that was legit that was that was true and it made sense it was rational to believe this uh, because i even during that time compared other religions and found them lacking in their answers to the big questions that i had i found the bible to be uh, very comforting and very upfront and honest and made a lot of sense when I considered what he was trying to teach me. And so I sort of kind of recommitted myself to my faith there in college. And of course, while in college, I was blessed to uh, meet Jamie, who we've been married now for a little over 20 years. And interesting enough, some folks know this, a lot of people don't, but our stories connected there at LC when we were in college my wife and your wife were actually roommates for a while until of course they upgraded. That's right. And now life is better for them. Oh, um, sure. But, <laughs> <laughs> but well, I say that in jest, but it's just really cool because this story is all about how God has worked in my life. Just like your story was all about how God worked in your life. And before we ever knew each other, God caused our paths to cross there at Louisiana college. And then, you know, 20 something years later, our paths crossed again here in Baton Rouge and who knew it? God knew it. And he was working all those things. But before we landed back in Baton Rouge, our path would take us eventually to New Orleans where I would uh, study there at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And I would go from there to serving with the North American mission board in homeless ministry at the Brantley Baptist center. And we lived and served in, in New Orleans for like 12 or 13 years. That time included just a lot of things that God used to shape our lives, the biggest of which was Hurricane Katrina. That's a whole different story. Maybe down the road, I will share our Katrina story with all of our wonderful listeners, but I'll just leave it just with this, that that was a big kind of come to Jesus moment for me in my own spiritual life and ministry. God radically changed my mentality and just the way that I think and do ministry through that. And I thank God for Hurricane Katrina. I do because I would not, I wouldn't be at first Baptist Baton Rouge right now, probably had it not been for that. I totally see God's hand in that. I think God used that in a mighty way and in, in my life personally and Jamie's life and our life as a couple. And everything that has flowed in our lives since then, I can at some point, in some way, go back and say, you know what? It's because of what God did in our hearts and minds through Hurricane Katrina. And post-New Orleans, we found ourselves way across the pond. And I don't mean Lake Pontchartrain. We were overseas in West Africa, serving with the International Mission Board, doing urban work in the city of bamako Mali, and we were there for seven years and they were several seven wonderful years we loved serving in that country we loved serving with the malians and i got to know many wonderful servants of christ both uh, west africans and um, americans europeans as we served alongside others from different mission organizations And then we came for our second stateside back in, I guess it would be, yeah, September, beginning of September, 2018, with full intent of returning to Bamako. And it was during that time of kind of quiet rest and reflection and just kind of decompressing uh, the, the past few years of life and ministry on the field that we felt the spirit beginning to lead us away from Bamako and on to something else. And we, we wrestled with that. I'll be completely honest. We didn't just go, okay, we had a lot of questions and we had a lot of concerns and we sought godly counsel, uh, particularly from men who had walked a lot of life with us, uh, who had a lot of biblical spiritual wisdom to impart. And just through that old process, uh, we affirmed that something was new in our lives as a family and did not know what that would be. And we began the process of seeking that out. And long story short, that path that God put us on many years before brought us back to this connection with you Orn, and the good people at first Baptist Baton Rouge and the opportunity to come and serve alongside you and the others at this church as the pastor of family discipleship. And it has been a wonderful transition. I I gotta, I gotta admit, had no clue how this transition would go. It's been bumpy from at times, but overall it has been just a blessing. And that was just a big affirmation in our lives that yes, we were hearing the, the the nudge from the Holy Spirit correctly that we were to make this this change. And God was faithful to allow us to land somewhere where we could serve on, and a church staff in a way that utilize our gifts and talents and to be a part of a church that has a vision, has a heart for the people of Baton Rouge, particularly downtown Baton Rouge. And it has been just a highlight of I think our life over the past few years to see God work and to relocate us from new Orleans to Bamako to Baton Rouge. And just to see that in every place he may made, made us feel at home. He's sustained us. He's given us joy and we've had some bumps and bruises along the way. I'm, I'm not going to candy coat the life that we've had. It's not been perfect and wonderful at every moment of every of every day, we've had some genuine difficulties, but the bi- the big picture of it all is just rich with God's providence and His love and His grace and His mercy on us, and we couldn't be happier to be here. And so, for me, for my wife Jamie and our two girls Molly and Emma, uh, we are grateful to have been on this journey and jamie and i look forward to be able to relate to our girls these stories because you know they're just now nine years old so a lot of their life has been lived overseas and really because they're kids very much unaware of how god's hand's been all the in all this we actively talk about it but one day when they get a little bit older and god by god's grace They put their faith and trust in Jesus. These stories that we've experienced in our 20 plus years of marriage will make all the more sense to them and they'll become part of their story uh, of God working in their lives. And so we look forward to that time when we can share more about how God has worked in their mom and dad from before we met, through our, our dating, our marriage, and all in between. Uh, up to this point in the present and let that be those wonderful stepping stones of faith that they get to be a part of and have been a part of uh, ever since they were blessed uh, in our lives back when they were born in 2011. So there you have it. Amen. That is some of my story and I hope it is something that some of you can resonate with. I hope it's a blessing to those that have heard it. And I do look forward, and I know Orin does too, to sharing some of those side stories, so to speak, in our lives at, at a later date, because man, it's it's wonderful to sit and just share and reflect on all that God has done. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you for sharing that. Um certainly are glad to
1: have you here at First Baptist working very hard. And um I mean, look, you're you're being here a year. We got a podcast off the ground. I mean, the heights we're climbing, Dave. It's incredible. Truly is. And uh, no, I'm just joking. We we are certainly great, grateful to have you and your leadership and um, and praying that God would bless the ministry at First Baptist, to the, that we would be a blessing uh, to the people who, who join with us, uh, people that we um, get to interact with downtown and the many thousands of people that work there, hopefully to reach them with the gospel and see them involved in our church. That's certainly something that we desire. And I know many folks in our church are so glad that you're with us and, and helping to lead, and uh, we are we're, we're grateful that God's led you um, all this way uh, to Baton Rouge. Kind of a long way around, but you ended up back here, and uh, certainly are grateful, great grateful for that. And uh, looking forward to to all the days ahead for sure.
0: Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you again for listening to Foot Notable. If you enjoy our weekly musings, please be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with someone you love. A five star rating would be much appreciated too. You can keep up with footnotable on social media through the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts of First Baptist Church Baton Rouge. You can find all three at username FBCBR or on our website at FBCBR.com. Know that our prayers are with you. Stay healthy and we'll talk to you again next week.